You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme. Rising COVID-19 cases and deaths in Britain has sparked warnings from healthcare professionals that the government should be bringing in so-called Plan B measures to curb transmissions. Matthew Taylor, who is the chief executive of the NHS Confederation, which speaks for health bodies, says that people in England should be required to wear masks in crowded places and work from home where possible. I speak to health leaders every day in every part of the service, ambulance services, mental health services, the acute sector. I haven't spoken to a single one who doesn't say that they are incredibly stretched. So, in a bullish round of interviews with broadcasters this morning, though, the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, insisted that there will be no new lockdown in the UK this winter. I think with coronavirus, it does add uh, an extra complication. But we're confident uh, that with the vaccine rollouts, with the extra booster uh, jab uh, take-up, the situation can can be managed well. Now, Downing Street says that it is keeping a, quote, very close eye on rising case rates after another 223 people have died within 28 days of testing positive for COVID-19, the highest number of deaths in a day since March. Well, joining me this morning is Labour MP Barry Gardner, MP for Brent North. Barry, good to have you on the programme. Good morning. COVID sort of roared back into view, hasn't it? Because the case rates have gone up, the number of deaths has gone up. Do you think the UK is going to see another lockdown this winter? What I fear, Caroline, is is that we're going to be rather like we were last winter when uh, we said there should be a a short circuit break uh, and the government refused to do that and then, of course, had to put in a longer uh, lockdown thereafter. Um, These things are always very difficult to judge, but I, I do think that we should be listening to the scientists who are saying the numbers are now escalating out of control and uh, we need to, to just take steps to, to bring it back down. I was in, in Scotland over the weekend, and it was so marked, the difference 
in the public's attitude between Scotland and England. Um, in Scotland, everybody wore a mask in, in any indoor space uh, on the, while travelling, on the, the trains or buses, uh, in, inside, in offices and so on. Um, on the streets, I would say that probably most people, 70%, were wearing masks, and, and even then only a few not. Now, you contrast that with what's going on in England. Um, and, you know, I, I travel in on the tube each day, and half the people now I, I see not wearing masks. And I do wonder whether they all have exemptions. <laughs> Absolutely. Daily cases in terms of COVID um, have been above, what, 30,000 since uh, early September. Well, I mean, one of the other issues is around the vaccine booster drive, you know, perhaps waning immunity is one cause of the spike in cases, although there are a number of reasons, perhaps. How's the vaccine drive actually going in your constituency in Brent North? Well, in, in fact, this afternoon, uh, just along the road from me, there is a, a booster session for people. Um, it, it's uh, really critical that people do take up their boosters because, you know, it, this is not something that is a once and for all. Once you've been double vaxxed, I think lots of people thought, oh, that's it. OK, I've got immunity. But unfortunately, um, the antibodies that you have in your body uh, do degrade over time. And uh, uh, it really is important to get that booster, particularly as we're going into uh, the most difficult part of the winter months and, and people need that protection. Okay. Uh, we've got, of course, uh, PMQs uh, this Wednesday. Keir Starmer, though, has been quite silent so far. Yes, I've heard a lot from um, Kwasi Kwarteng, who's done the broadcast round this morning. Um, has Labour been forthright enough on, you know, telling the government what they think should be happening here? Well, look, you know, it's it's always a catch-22, I think, for, for any opposition party because we don't get uh, the, the same scientific briefing at the time that the government gets it. Um, but uh, it is now clear, I think, that the, the chief scientists are calling for this, the SAGE, the sage group of scientists, um, uh, for, for a plan B in these measures, or plan B plus, as they call it. Um, and I, I think it's very clear from our point of view that we do need to see a tightening up of the restrictions. Um, we've got to have people wearing masks and, and that being enforced. We need to be clear that this is not just all in the past now and we can all sail, sail on uh, as if nothing's happening. It is and people are dying uh, and the public really do need to take that seriously. Uh, Barry, on to other um, issues uh, facing the country. You have served as uh, Shadow Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change, also uh, for international trade. What do you make of the investment summit that was hosted by Boris Johnson? Uh, the Queen also hosted um, sort of global leaders at Windsor Castle also. Uh, this um, ahead uh, of COP26. What did you make of the pledges, the announcement, the speech from the Prime Minister Boris Johnson about um, you know, the green future for Britain, hugely important time. It, it is. It, it, look, this is hugely important. And uh, it's vital that we get the investment flowing through into the, the new technologies and, and, and the green future that we need uh, and creating the jobs that we need. Um, but I'm afraid that rhetoric is one thing and, and actual delivery is another. Uh, and I don't just mean that in terms of the, uh, the targets for emissions reductions that have been set. Uh, great to have a 78% target by 2035. Uh, but actually, 
we're not even meeting the fourth and fifth carbon budget, which uh, should have been, you know, that that needs to be in place now. And the Committee on Climate Change is issuing stark warnings that delivery is just not there. But in terms of investment, if you look at the what the Prime Minister was saying, I think uh, they're talking about 90 billion by the end of this decade in the next eight years. Um, by contrast, uh, Labour's uh, Shadow Chancellor has said that uh, we would be putting in 228 billion. Um, and that would be match funding with the with the private sector. So you're talking about uh, a huge difference in scale. Um, we need huge figures. If you look at the commitment that was made in Paris by all the countries together, that was for um, development for for developing countries to be given access to 100 billion a year uh, by 2020. Mm. Now that hasn't happened, and in Glasgow at COP26, it will be absolutely vital that the pledges of finance for developing countries who are the ones who will be suffering the most from climate change most quickly uh, and who have done least to cause the damage that is, uh, you know, um, to our atmosphere. Uh, They're the ones who are suffering and they need that funding simply to survive. So it is vital if we're going to get a just solution, if we're going to make a a just transition to a new economy, um, then we need that, uh, that investment to be made. Yeah, the government has pledged extra money uh, for things including heat pumps to help people make their homes greener and more energy efficient. Um, But Gary, um, Barry, you also uh, campaign against far and rehire practices. Uh, I mean, there's there's so much to think about in terms of what's happening in the UK at the moment. How prevalent is far and rehire? The economy is really roared back into life. We've had a very strong economic rebound. Yes, also strong inflation. But but what is your concern about far and rehire? our practices now? Well, look, um, it's not just a few companies that are doing this. Um, We're talking companies like British Gas, Sainsbury's Argos, Tesco's, uh, Clark's Shoes, um, lots of uh, academy school trusts. Um, uh, universities have been doing it, local authorities have been doing it. Um, up and down the country, there are, are literally uh, dozens of major companies, British Airways, London Heathrow, um, that, that have been engaging in this practice. And what it means is that uh, you are asked to go in by your boss, you're told um, you are fired unless you accept a change in your working practice that might mean five, ten, in some cases, fifteen thousand pounds off your wages, that you might lose uh, your pension rights and uh, have a change in your shift pattern that meant you can't see your children uh, at weekends. Uh, all of these are being forced upon uh, employees uh, in a quite scandalous way. And it's affecting, you asked the number, um, a survey that was done by Britain Thinks mm. found that uh, 9% of British workers say that they had either been fired and rehired or been threatened with being fired and rehired in order to accept worse terms and conditions uh, yeah. in, in the past 18 months. That, that's, if that 9% holds good, you're talking 3 million people in our country that have, have experience of this. Um, with all of these problems, the far and rehire ones that you've um, just elaborated, rising COVID cases, uh, the uh, enormous green transition that we need to make and the challenges there, 
you know, if if the government um, has all of these issues, uh, you know, to, to deal with and isn't doing a good job, why are their poll ratings so good? Why is it still such a struggle to get that Labour message across? <laughs> Well, you know, um, who was it that said you can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time? Um, uh, look, I, I, I didn't come on to, to make party political points, um, but I, I think we have uh, in, in our polity at the moment a prime minister who spins everything as if the world is all fine and everything is going well. Uh, the reality is, for many, mm. many people, that is not the case. If yeah. you look at what's happening with universal credit, a thousand pounds off the wages, uh, and I'm talking wages okay. because yeah. actually, you know, these are people who are in work but need top-ups from universal credit. Um, yeah. uh, they're, they're losing at work by being ground down by fire and rehire, and they're then losing a thousand pounds a year from the universal credit card. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Right, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. So a week away from the budget, sources say that the Chancellor is resisting pressure to increase spending because he's concerned that doing so might mean that the Bank of England has to raise interest rates more aggressively. The sense is that Rishi Sunak is planning only a few emergency giveaways after setting out plans to increase taxes in Britain by £12 billion to pay for improved health and social care. Meanwhile, the business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, who's been out in force this morning, he's also been trying to dampen down speculation that taxes will have to rise in order to fund the government's green goals. It comes after the Treasury said that it would need to consider new sources of revenue to pay for the green transition. Of course, the Prime Minister set out uh, the most ambitious goals amongst developed nations in terms of this transition to reduce net greenhouse gas emissions by zero. Uh, to zero by 2050 yesterday and the question has arisen from that how will that be paid for just lastly Britain's push to neutralise carbon emissions by mid-century now does have a price tag. So according to the Treasury's net zero review, it will cost as much as 2% of economic output in 2050. The government will need to expand carbon pricing, but that won't be enough to offset the loss of tax revenue caused by phasing out fossil fuels. So those are a few of the issues ahead of next week's budget uh, that are dominating in terms of uh, the world of politics. But the big 
focus really outside of that, of course, is rising COVID-19 cases and rising deaths and hospitalizations. Joining me now is Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, good to have you on the programme today. You did an in-depth piece looking at why cases of COVID-19 are going up in Britain. And actually, you point to quite a number of different factors. Yeah, I I think some of the original um, criticism of the government was that the July lifting of COVID restrictions just came too early. It was too wide-ranging and and fast a lifting of restrictions. And I wanted to try to understand whether, you know, was that the root cause? Was it the fact that people had dumped, you know, mask wearing, um, which, you know, you, you don't even really see on public transport these days very much, which is quite surprising because it's mandatory. And what I found was that, there are a number of factors that are contributing to um, the rise in infections and also hospitalizations and sadly also deaths. Um, we're you know, now at the number of deaths per day that was predicted for November. Um, and one of them obviously is um, is a, a reduction in restrictions, but there are you know, things like the sick, sick pay in the UK being so much lower than on the continent has um, contributed to people going to work when they have COVID. Um, it's something we talked about early in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, scientists I spoke to have said that they, they really do think that's a factor. Climate uh, may also be a factor. Um, and, you know, th- there's also the waning of, of vaccine uh, in, uh, immunity. Uh, and then there are, you know, various um, perhaps temporary issues that are having an impact here. So, for example, we had the one lab in the Midlands that uh, apparently delivered some 40,000 false negative uh, tests. So, you know, that's tens of thousands of people with COVID potentially who went out and spread it, and that's going to have a an impact on the statistics. Yeah. Um, but finally, there's also a lot of children who are getting it, and that will burn itself out because they will get immunity and, and it usually passes quickly through children. So that might, uh, you know, that might be a cause for optimism is that those infection rates will come down. So not, not, a, not a simple picture. No, absolutely. Although having said that, if the teachers get it, then that, that does become a huge problem. I mean, what do you make of the talk this morning then um, that has sort of been forcefully rebutted um, by Quasi Kwarteng around the idea of another lockdown? It looks as if sort of... Um, Healthcare professionals want mask mandates. They want um, more restrictions to return. They're saying that very clearly, very publicly to the government that is rejecting that idea. Do you think that turns at some point if the cases go up? Yeah, doesn't it feel like we've been here before where the government resists clamping down and cases go up and people begin to get nervous? I think the government is taking its cues right now from public opinion, and there has been up to now very little appetite for a return to any kind of restriction. You know, that said, that can turn very quickly, and particularly when you have health officials and, and you know, senior leaders in the NHS saying, this is getting worrying, beds are filling up at a time when the NHS is already stretched going into winter. Um, we're seeing in the U.S. a very, you know, worrying-looking flu season, so we could be facing that as well. Um, I think the government takes a huge risk in not responding or being seen to respond too late because, you know, we're not early in the pandemic now. We've, we've learned the lessons of, of the past. And it's also the case that they have, a, you know, they have a plan B 
pathway set out that includes some pretty low-cost, low-hassle measures, such as just reimposing mask wearing uh, in certain settings like shops and, and grocery stores, you know, and maybe changing the work-from-home guidance uh, a little bit, which the government is loath to do. It wants to get people back into the office. So you know, there, there are responses the government could make that will show that it's, you know, really taking seriously these threats. Um, but so far, as, as you heard from Quasi this morning, they're resisting. They think the public do- doesn't want to, uh, you know, psychologically doesn't want to return to those bad old days where, yes. you know, everyone was masked and social distancing. Yeah, indeed. Well, learning the lessons, that, that phrase popping up again. Um, you've also got another piece, though, Therese, that I thought was quite interesting. So I was talking to Barry Gardner, the Labour MP, about um, the, the vaccine, the booster rollout. And you mentioned in one of your pieces, you know, that waning uh, immunity in terms of the vaccine effectiveness, that that's starting to wear off. But you kind of have... Uh, had quite an in-depth look at one of the other jabs that the UK government had ordered, but actually they pulled the plug on it. And this is from the French pharmaceutical company Valneva. How does that play into this story? Yeah, it's interesting because back in September, we didn't get really a a clear explanation for the government about why they terminated a 1.4 billion euro contract for, I think it was 100 million new doses of the new vaccine from Valneva. But uh, the the government, UK government claimed that the uh, agreement had been breached. Valneva disputed that. Uh, now Valneva this week has reported very successful phase three trials that says um, that its vaccine uh, delivers uh, higher levels of, of uh, neutralizing antibodies than the AstraZeneca shot. So it's the first trial that compares Valneva's vaccine to another vaccine. Um, and, you know, so questions have been raised. Was the UK right to terminate the contract? And, you know, what does it really mean to have a new vaccine in the mix? And uh, so I, mean, I have had a discussion uh, in an article with Sam Fazelli, Bloomberg Intelligence's pharma uh, uh, lead. And, you know, what his view is, uh, is that the, first of all, there's a lot of hoops left for this Valneva vaccine to to travel through. That trial doesn't prove that the Valneva vaccine has higher levels of efficacy. So just mm. because it has more neutralizing antibodies, uh, we don't know whether you know that that's going to lead to higher levels of efficacy. It will need to jump from more regulatory hoops, uh, the so-called final assay, which uh, requires um, which quite elaborate sort of set of validation uh, methodology. But the UK doesn't really need it. It has plenty of supply. The problem in the UK right now seems to be the rollout of the booster. It just doesn't seem to be getting the government attention that uh, the first uh, set of vaccine shots did perhaps take up. The government is, is lower. The government is saying people are just not rushing out to get the booster shot. So that is I think the bigger risk, um, yes. and uh, you know it's, it, that's what's going to require the government's attention. I don't think they're going to worry too much that they missed the boat on Valneva. There are plenty of vaccines here; it's just getting yeah. them into arms. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the other uh, big focuses, of course, for, for the government um, and for the prime minister was the investment um, summit that he held yesterday, you know, number 10, but also um, the Queen and Windsor Castle rolling out the red carpet here. Bloomberg spoke to Boris Johnson yesterday uh, in a kind of 15 minute long exclusive interview. When you looked at that summit, which arguably is sort of on the same par as COP26, do you think it was a success for Boris Johnson? Because he was trying to say the UK is a great place to do business, to invest in, and he made plenty of green announcements too. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's too early to say whether it was a success. What he, you know, he was in full salesman mode. It was mm-hmm. uh, his speech was full of Boris Johnson boosterish language, uh, the jokes, the the kind of upbeat green is good message, and. I'm, you know, I think at the moment it landed well in that crowd, but the, you know, these this is a um, this is a pretty tough bunch who will make hard-headed decisions based on uh, the you know based on the merits of uh, investment the investment case, and yeah. it will take a lot more than um, a, a visit with the Queen and a and a sort of you know Prime Minister um, rolling out the red carpet. Uh, for, for them to make those decisions. So I think we'll have to see. I think it's good that uh, that Johnson is making that case to them and uh, that there's a focus on um, showcasing Britain's attractiveness to foreign investment. But really, you know, the proof is always is in, is, you know, is in the pudding. And, and, you know, we've seen investment leave the country um, in financial services and other areas after Brexit. So, you know, he's also fighting against Um, you know, a tie that he created with the decision to leave the EU. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.